0: We already gave two shiurim on the first parak of Perkei and as you all know, there's a very long-standing custom to study Perkei during the weeks in between Pesach and Shavuos, and we just started uh, the week that it is traditional to learn the second parak of Perkei and I recommend it uh, to you, not that uh, Perkei needs my haskama and one of the most incredible uh, treasure troves of wisdom and all of Chazal, uh, but uh, In addition to whatever learning you do on your own throughout the week, uh, I thought it made sense to have one shear this week where we focused on one of the mishnayos in the second parak and uh, studied it more in depth and gleaned uh, some of the lessons that Chazal had in mind for us. So what I wanted to do is actually spend some time uh, now and study the first mishnah, the opening mishnah of the second parak, which is actually quite a big mishnah, uh, certainly big in general. There are a lot of big mishnayos in parak bet, I think, but this is a big Mishnah, chalk filled with a lot of things. We can't do everything, but hopefully we can hit some of what I think are the relevant highlights. So let's first read the Mishnah, just translate it simply, and then we'll go back and take a few of the points and study those more in depth. So the Mishnah says in the opening of the second parak, Rebbe Omer, Rebbe here is a reference to uh, none other than Rebbe Yehuda HaNasi, the son and successor of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, he was both the leader in his time, and of course, perhaps most famously, as the redactor of all of the Mishnah. Uh, it was under his leadership that that uh, momentous and history-changing decision that was made to put what was until then merely an oral tradition, Tarshval and permit it to be written down and organized into what we now know as the Mishnah. That's Rebbe, Rebbe Hur So Rebbe Omer, What is the proper straight path that a person should choose? Anything that is beneficial uh, to the person, him or herself, and also brings that person praise from other people. Uh, kind of a surprising uh, definition of how a person should be making moral or ethical choices, and something which I think we'll have to get back to. Mishnah continues and says, A second piece of advice from Rabbi, Be careful and uh, zealous in your performance of all mitzvot, even those which you might think are lighter or less serious, because you don't really know the true reward of any mitzvah. Number three says heavy uh, There's not much to add to the simple reading uh, of this uh, particular phrase. It seems to be pretty straightforward and very important, which is that a person always has to do a certain calculation and calculate the cost. Of not doing, uh, of doing a mitzvah, because even mitzvahs sometimes come with costs. But balance that out against what the reward will be, and obviously the implication is that the reward will outweigh the cost. And the opposite says the Mishnah: Skaravera, can I get have sedha? There may very well be certain benefits to a certain avera, certain pleasure or certain short-term benefits. But have in mind the long-term downside. Uh, so have that uh, calculation. And fourth and finally, the Mishnah concludes with its own, something that really could have been the Mishnah in itself. It's so chock and rich uh, with meaning. Fourth and final thing of the Mishnah, If you will constantly keep in mind three things, you'll never come to sin. And what are those three things? Dala that seems to be an introductory phrase. We'll see when we get more be'ion into this Mishnah that not everyone's going to agree to that. But the simple reading of the Mishnah, that's kind of an introductory phrase. Remember what's above you, and that introduces two of the three. and Roah, there's an ever-seeing eye. Ozen Shoma'as, there's always somebody who's listening to you. And then third and finally, V'chol ma'asecha b'sefer nechtaven. All of your deeds are written down, uh, you know, I guess in God's uh, book or God's ledger. So those three things make up the combined triad, the three things that Rabbi Yudanasi says, if you remember or you keep all these three in mind, Iyata b'lidei So as we, again, as we delineated when we were reading through the Mishnah, basically four different points uh, in the Mishnah all of which are very important advice from Rabbi Huda HaNasi. Again, and um, we will perhaps you know we'll touch on all four but i think i really have what to add in terms of Mefarshim in three of the four so let's start at the beginning the first piece of advice that bihuda nasi had given us which is how do you know what's the right thing what's the smartest thing what should you do the derech Yeshura adam what's that way how should you figure out one litmus test to figure out how you should live your life so i would say personally it's a surprising answer from bihuda nasi as i alluded to when we first read the mishnah you should do things which are le le'osehah, which gives some kind of a praise or benefit to the person who's doing the mitzvah, to you who does it, and tiferes lo adam, and gives you praise and honor from other people. So especially the second half seems particularly strange. I mean, we all know that there are things which we do which uh, are noticed and praised by other people, but we wouldn't usually think of Chazal of Rabbi Nasi telling us, you know, when you're trying to decide what to do, think about what people are going to praise you for. Right? That doesn't seem to be what you would expect hard to take the Mishnah at face value. So in fact, uh, among the various commentaries on the Mishnah, both the Rambam initially in his parish commentary to the Mishnah, and more accessible, you know, on almost any Mishnah you might uh, take off the shelf, Rabbi Bartanura, uh, who basically elaborates on the Rambam, he's not adding anything of his own, he's elaborating on the Rambam, the Rambam and the Bartanura basically say that this somewhat funny or surprising phraseology is really another way of expressing the Rambam's famous doctrine of the golden mean, the Rambam's idea of the Derech Hamutzat being balanced, being moderate, the golden mean, the Shvil Hazahav, which he discusses both in Hilchos Deos and the Mishnah Torah and in the Shimona Prokim, both of which I think are much more famous than his comments on the Mishnah here in the second parak. but in a very short line, he alludes to his broader doctrine, the Rambam is famous for this, and the Bartanura actually elaborates on the Rambam here in our Mishnah. And they both say specifically that our Mishnah is talking about character traits, midos. And if you want to know, says the Rambam, says the Bartanura, which midos, which character traits are the ones that you should focus on, or how should you focus on them. So the Rambam and the Bartonur say that the way you should work on your midos and your character development is that you should avoid the extremes. After all, they say, there are many attributes that you could take upon yourself, which could be Tiferis Lola Adam. They could be beneficial to you. You could focus in an extreme way on a certain mida, and that could give you benefit. Right? You know, if you have a tunnel vision on a very specific thing and you're, so to speak, an extremist in that, one could get really successful in many ways from that. On the other hand, you won't necessarily be doing it in a way that is beneficial to other people or that other people will respect. Therefore, says the Bartanura, says the Rambam, you have to do, you have to figure out a way to balance your character traits, balance your personality such that it will be beneficial to you. No one is saying, slowly not the Ramam, not no one is saying you should be a martyr and always be a shmata, be a schlepper, let everyone walk over you. No, you have to have certain mitos that give yourself a certain standing, a certain personality and ability to be successful, but you have to moderate in a way that you're not only thinking about what's best for you, but also in a way that will be beneficial and be respected by other people, not as we initially asked as the mission of perhaps might be read simplistically. Not that you should be doing things in order to get praise from other people, but rather you should use other people's reaction to your personality, the way other people perceive you. That's not irrelevant. A lot of people, uh, and I think some people have this as a lifelong uh, character trait, and I would call it a character flaw, and in many cases it comes with, sometimes with adolescence or teenagehood or young adulthood, where people are really trying to find who they are and identify and be true to themselves, and often that, which is very admirable, but often that can sometimes uh, be expressed in a way of, you know, I do what's right for me, I believe in Don't really care about how anybody else perceives it. And the Bartonur and the Rambam are explaining that this is exactly what the mission is saying you shouldn't be doing. Rather, you need to do what you think is right and what's going to help you. But one of the measuring sticks for whether you're doing it in the right way, whether you have the right character traits as you're going about doing that thing, is how other people react. You need to balance those two together. Not do things that are only good. Don't be a martyr. Don't do just things that are good for other people even if it's not good for you. But on the other hand, don't only focus on what's good for you and ignore how other people react. The bartanura specifically gives an example of how we spend our money. The bar, again, the Rambam also discusses this in other contexts, but here the Rambam doesn't say anything. But just to illustrate the point, the bartanura says very uh, powerfully and I think very... Uh, succinctly, but to the point, he says, "Listen, a person could be uh, very miserly, keep all his money or, to himself to herself, and that 's good for you that 's t ferrislo love them. you 'll keep all your money On the other hand, if you don 't benefit anybody with whatever blessings God has given you, you know that 's not really right. On the other hand, a person could give away everything could be so generous that they have nothing for themselves." says the Ramam, says the Bartanura, that's also incorrect. Rather, what should we be aiming for? What the Bartanura here calls nidivut, right? There are different ways of talking about being charitable, but the particular word that the Bartanura says, which is this synthesis, this middle way, the proper balanced way, is what he calls to being a Nadiv. That is being generous, but being in a balanced and proportionate way that you don't lose what you need for yourself and for your own family. And even though that's a good example, adds the Bartanura very powerfully hadin It's not only your personality trait in terms of how charitable you are or not, but this is a template that's a paradigm for how you should be in everything. Courage, fear, charity versus not. Think of anything. Love versus hate. Soft versus harsh. You know, quick to end. All the things. There's If you go to an extreme, it might be good for you. But always balance that out and moderate that based on how it will be perceived by others. I just want to add one more point before we continue on in the Mishnah, which is that both uh, the Rambam and the Bartanura focus on character trait, midos. When Urbenu Yonah is commenting on this Mishnah... Rabbeinu specifically says, not talking about the middle, he doesn't quote the Rambam and get into the whole middle way, but Rabbeinu Yonah specifically says, we're talking about not your character traits, your midos, but rather how you perform mitzvos. And I think this is a different nuance. It's, it's a similar idea, basically, but it's a different nuance, which I think is very important. Timeless but also quite timely. Says when it comes to doing mitzvahs, do them in a way that isn't only how you feel is the right way to do the mitzvah, but also keep in mind how other people will perceive you. Do mitzvahs in a way that people will perceive that as you're doing something that's truly admirable. Whether they do that mitzvah or not, but they admire you for the way you're doing it. That's not, again, not in a way that you're just doing it because you want Kavod. That's obviously not what Rabbeinu Yonah is trying to say. But rather, wh- how people will perceive your performance of the mitzvah is an indication of whether you're doing the mitzvah the right way. In what? what it's, very, it's a nice idea, perhaps, but it seems a little bit too abstract and vague. So Rabbeinu Yonah gives a very specific example. There could be other examples. But Rabbeinu Yonah's example is... Timing, right? Rabbi Yonah, uh you know, uh, had a certain sense for, you know, the ph- phenomenon, the, ph- the phrase or the, the insight which we're familiar of, of timing is everything. So Rabbi Iona says timing is really very key. He says there could be certain mitzvos in which it's the right thing to do, but the wrong time. So maybe for you it's right. But if the timing is going to be perceived negatively by other people, so then keep that in mind. Maybe that's not what you should be doing. Not only do what's right for you at the right time for you, but what about at the right time for other people? And I have to just, uh, if you'll indulge me for a minute, I could not help but think about something which, uh, you know, I'd say throughout the from world uh, we are struggling with over the last few weeks, which is the issue of public tefillah, of minyanim, right? Minyan is an inherent good, obviously. But where Abena Yonah is telling us is that the timing of whether we have minyanim or not and how we have minyanim and how our actions will be perceived by others in the Jewish and especially the non-Jewish community is just as important. You want to know what's the right thing to do? What's the derech yeshara shi'abar loas adam? Don't just think, well, tfilubet is a good thing. I want to dive in with a minyan. You have to also ask yourself, what will be tiferis lo min How will other people perceive this? And if the whole world is saying, keep social distancing, don't gather together and you have in your particular municipality, you're living, there are rules and guidelines about that. And if you're going to meet anyway, so that is the farthest thing from Derich Yesharosh, Yavar Adam. The timing, the, the action inherently is good, but the timing makes it all wrong. And it's a mistake, this Rabbein says. And again, if Rabbeinu Yonah has to tell us, and Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi had to tell us in Perkei Avos the reason we needed a Mishnah, the reason we needed uh, Rabbeinu Yonah to explain it is we understand human nature could be to miss this. Human nature can be hardwired to think, well, if this is the right thing to do, if this is a mitzvah, then i got to do it. And we see, unfortunately, again, I don't need to call out any specific examples, and there's too many anyway, but we've seen this over the last few weeks in, in Jewish infirm communities throughout the world, in Israel and in the diaspora, where certain people, despite what the municipalities have said, and despite what Rabbanim have said, certain people have decided, no, doesn't matter what the timing is, doesn't matter, the whole world is doing one other thing, I need to have a minion now, and I need to have it in public. And that is clearly not the Derek yeshara that Perk Yavos is telling us to choose. It may be good for you, but that timing is definitely not going to be tiferes Eslom and Adam. It is not perceived by our fellow Jews, and certainly not by the non-Jewish world in a good way. Okay. I'm off my soapbox, back to Perkei and we continue with the second thing in the Mishnah, uh, quickly, but but it's important, and that is the Mishnah telling us that we should take both what's called a mitzvah kala, the light, or the less chamur mitzvos, as seriously as we take the, quote-unquote, more chamur, more severe, more serious mitzvos. So, just to put something out there, which we're not going to talk about, there's a huge discussion in Mepharshim on our Mishnah and in other sources that discuss the fact that our Mishnah seems to assume that there is such a thing as more severe, more chamur, and less severe, more kal mitzvos. Whereas there's other sources in Chazal that seem to say there is no such thing as a kal or a chamur. And it seems to be a contradiction between our Mishnah and other, other sources and a big, big literature. Is it really true? Is there such a thing as a more severe, a more important mitzvah, a less important mitzvah? That's a discussion which is huge and important, but not the one I have a few minutes to discuss. But if you just take our mission at face value, which seems to assume that there are things which can be perceived as Kal and Hamur, nevertheless, the Mishnah tells us, do all of them, even the quote-unquote Kal mitzvos, with equal zeal and equal enthusiasm. And here also, the Bartanura, elaborating on and mimicking the Rambam, basically explains, just again, just adding a little bit to the mission itself, which is that we're talking about Positive mitzvot. Mitzvot I say, because other than one or two examples in the whole Torah, positive mitzvot we are not given the actual reward for, we are not told what the schar is, and therefore ain't atayodem matan scharin. as the Mishnah says, you don't know what the reward is, therefore what you think might be kal, might actually be chamur, and therefore you should do it seriously, the mafarshim do add, that this is in contrast to avoiding an Avera a lotase, because there the mafarshim point out, and the Bartanura gives you a whole list, we actually have a delineation throughout the Torah, and certainly throughout Chazal, of specific punishments, and different levels of punishment for different Averos. We have four different capital uh, punishments, four different death penalties, which Chazal debate, which is the more or less severe. But it's clear in Chazal that each of the four uh, death penalties are all severe, but they reflect different levels of severity. We have Kares, Misa Bidei Lashes, Malkus, and then you even have Averos, which don't get an earthly punishment. And it's assumed, even the, the Mefarshim say this explicitly here on Perkyavos, it's assumed that those different punishments do reflect different levels of severity. But that's all about the lotases, the, the negative commandments. But when it comes to the Mitzvahs, I say, that's the subject of our Mishnah. You never know what the real reward is, and therefore take them all, uh, very seriously. The Tiferis Yisrael, one of the later commentaries on Perkiavos here, and one on the, on the Mishnaios, So he points out that the reason we have to do that is we have to realize that all mitzvot, whatever their relative level of importance, but they all share a common denominator and that they have an intrinsic ability to refine our soul. And therefore, whatever benefit there might be, number one, we can't guess what it is. But number two is there's a more overarching benefit that all mitzvot have, which is that by doing Hashem's command, it elevates and refines our soul. Hundreds of years before the Tiferet Yisrael said this, the Ramban, none other than the Ramban, in his commentary to the Torah in Shmos, a very, very famous passage where he discusses why so many mitzvahs throughout the Torah, throughout Yiddishkeit, are considered to be Zeicher El commemorating uh, going out of Egypt, and we're not just talking about Matzah and carbon Pesach and things on Pesach, Tefillin and Mezuzah and all sorts of things, Kiddush every Shabbos, so many things that are not connected ostensibly to the Pesach story or the historical dates of Pesach are Zeicher El Metzrayim. right? This is a curiosity that should, we should all have been piqued by this uh, curiosity. So the Ramban is a very long and famous passage explaining this, but towards the end of that passage, the Ramban, mentions our Mishnah and after his basic theory specifically about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, is that it imparts those mitzvot impart a certain message about God's role in the world, there's a certain emuna, there's a certain hashkafa that is conveyed by those that are so important that we need to repeat it over and over again Beyond that specific point of ityat Matraim, the Ramban says in a more broad way, Lafiha chamru. That's why the Mishnah and Ovos, Perek Beis, tells us to be careful about all mitzvos, even those which are considered quote unquote kal, and not just the ones that are chavav. Why? Because says the Ramban, they are all chaviv, They're all beloved and chamud and precious to Hashem. Why? Because all of them kavanas kol mitzvah. Says the Ramban. Is an unbelievable, uh, you know, axiomatic overarching statement of philosophy of judaism of the ramban kavanas ko hamitzvos venoda Borenu, which is or Boranu. that is to say a common feature of all mitzvos is they impress upon us the idea and the belief that there is a God, there is a HaKadosh Baruch Hu who is the creator and is in control of the world. And since he told us to do X or Y, that's why we're doing it. So every mitzvah, says Ramban, whether it's quote-unquote kal, maybe there's such a thing as a kal. But even the kal, if I'm doing it, I'm highlighting my belief that Hashem runs the world and created the world. So... Whether it's a chamor or a kal, there might be side benefits or side factors which make one mitzvah more important or more severe than others. But there's a common thread, which is that they all communicate and impress upon us this idea of Hashem is the creator and in control. Okay, the third thing that was mentioned in the Mishnah about calculating the relative reward versus uh, the cost of mitzvos and averos, we mentioned it again, there's not much to add to the simple reading of the Mishnah. The basic point is a person should have the long view. Think about the long-term cost. It's true that sometimes you know, if you don't work on Friday in the evening, or you're not working on Shabbos, or you don't go to a meeting because they might be not kosher at the board meeting or whatever, maybe it'll cost you in the short term. But think about the reward you're going to get. Think about the long term. And again, in the reverse as well, maybe there's a certain pleasure or benefit to an Avera, but that's in the short term. But think about the long term. In the long term, there will be um, there will be reward for overcoming your temptation, and also punishment, frankly, if you don't, again, that seems to be clearly the simple reading of the Mishnah, the Bartanura explicates this clearly, take the long term, have the big picture in mind, and that will help you uh, make the right decision. Okay, just to finish off the Mishnah, I'd like to spend another few minutes getting to the last thing uh, in the Mishnah, again, a very, very important phrase where Abudya Yudhi HaNasi tells us, again, you know you, you know, you have to be tone deaf not to realize how important uh, something is when Rabbi Huda Anasi, no less, tells us, If you think of these three things, remember these three things, this is the secret to success, these three things, and you won't uh, come to sin. And what were those three? Again, we mentioned the way most mefarshim read the Mishnah, Da, Mala, Ayin, Remember, someone's always watching, Ozen shamas, someone's always listening, and Kamasecha B'Sefer Nechtov, and everything is going to be written down. So as I mentioned, that's the way most Rishonim, uh, line up the three things. Uh, Rabbeinu Yonah, who goes with that, he does add something very interesting and important. Ben Yona does say, why couldn't the, the Mishnah have just told us this without the bodily metaphor? Why couldn't the Mishnah have just said, you should know, God knows everything that's happening, God hears everything you say, he sees everything you do. Why does it have to be dafka? There's an eye, there's an ear. Obviously, that's anthropomorphic. We don't believe that God has an eye. We don't believe that God has an ear. So why would the Mishnah go out of his way to use that anthropomorphic language? Presumably, you could have conveyed the idea without that bodily uh, reference. So the Rebbeinah Yonah says something, which I think is so true. He says, you don't need it from a philosophical level. But on an emotional level, he says, it makes it more real. It makes it more visceral when we can visualize Actually, someone, and in this case, it's not just a someone, it's the king of kings, Akkadish Baruchu, literally an ear listening to us, or an eye watching us, that makes it more real, more visceral, and that will not only make it more unlikely that, you know, more, so to speak, present, but what Rabbi Yonah adds, something that's maybe uh, not so in, you know, in fashion nowadays, but maybe it should be, and that is that it highlights the importance in a positive way of busha of shame. Says Rabbaniona, if you really were able to visualize Hashem watching what you're doing, you'd be so embarrassed to do a certain Avera, If you could really, really visualize, really, really visualize Hashem hearing the way you're talking, you'd be totally humiliated. You'd have busha if you, to do such a thing. Says Rebani Yonah, that's exactly what he's trying to say. A person should truly feel that and then they won't come to sin. In that vein, how come the Mishnah, if if the Mishnah wants to say, everything is written down, what does that mean, everything is written down? Presumably, it means you're going to have to answer for everything. You don't get any freebies. Eventually, you're going to have to answer for everything. Okay, I hear that. But why do you need the metaphor of a book? What's the purpose of that? So, The simplest understanding, again, like we saw, is this is the idea of God writing things down in a book, just like we think about from the Gemara on Rosh Hashanah. There's three books: the Book of Life, the Book of Death, the Beinonim. So just like God writes in a book, so to speak, on Rosh Hashanah, so you should think of God writing in a book forever. That after 120, there's going to be a big book written down from all the years. There's chapters for every year of your life, and God's been writing and keeping track, and nothing got lost. The book is there. The computer didn't crash. The book didn't get lost. You're gonna have to look at the book. That's the simple understanding of the Mishnah. That's fine. But two little new on that. One is that the Yalkut Shimoni in Eov says something which I think is actually, it's very scary to think of God keeping a book of our life. Trust me, I think it's very scary. But you know what might be scarier? What the Yalkut Shimoni, what the Medrash says in Eov. According to the Yalkut, after a person dies after 120 years, every person, him or herself, God is going to tell you, now you write a book of all the things you did in your entire life, write it all down, and then I want you to sign I want you to sign the bottom of that, attesting to its veracity. Right? So it reminds me of, you know, sometimes people used to say, I think in the name of the Chavetz Chaim, that, you know, after you die, Hashem will show you a movie of your life, uh, you know, so to speak. Um, you know, and, every, and you should know that everyone is going, uh, so to speak, uh, you know, uh, to see. It. You know, but it's not, sometimes more scary than other people seeing the movie is you having to see the movie yourself. So here also, the al is saying, it's not just that God wrote a book. You yourself are going to have to review and relive all of those mistakes you made and then sign that it really happened in front of Hashem. Again, the same idea, but perhaps uh, a little bit of a scarier version. The Yaivitz, the Chassid Yaivitz, we've mentioned him in the past. He was one of the people who was part of the Girush Sfarad. He was one of the people in the 15th century who was expelled from Spain, who had a very important commentary uh, then on Pirkei the Chassid Yaivitz. So he says... It's not so much a book. I mean, obviously it's not a book. But he says, it doesn't even mean a book. What does it really mean? It means that the, the Sefer we're talking about is the lave or the neshama of each person. The Gemara in Ta'ina says, neshmaso shel adam, hi meida alav, meida alav. That is to say, everything we do, every action we take, basically impresses and makes a permanent mark on our personality, on our neshama. I don't think you have to be so mystical to understand this. That we can understand this in a very rationalistic and a prosaic way. Basically, you should realize, says the Yivitz, that everything you do is always going to leave its mark. There are no things which you do which don't leave any downside. Now, the good news is That's true for all our mitzvot too. Every mitzvah we do will also leave a mark. It's in a good way. But every erevira we do, says the Ivids, it's not shot that God's writing it down, or even that we'll have to write it down and then remember it. It's that Hashem will look at our neshama, and our neshama will be a written book of what we, how we lived our life for 120 years. Because on our neshama, so to speak, will be written the impact of all the actions that we took. Just to conclude, I want to mention something which I think is also very important, and that is that the Me'iri has a different take almost completely on this Mishnah, that the Me'iri has a different categorization, not the whole Mishnah, I should say, excuse me, I mean on this particular thing. Most Mepharshim, as we mentioned, counted three things, the eye, the ear, and then the book, in short. But the Me'iri is clearly bothered by something which, you know, which should be bothering all of us, which is that the eye and the ear are basically the same thing, that God knows everything you did. There's Hashkacha Pratis, Hashem is watching, there's Hashkacha, nothing gets by God. He knew about it at the time. No matter what you did, he saw it, no matter what you said, he heard. Basically the same thing. Why would you count that as two separate things? That's, there's such a big difference between the eye and the ear that they're delivering of two separate things. So the Meiri actually puts those together. The eye and the ear is one thing, which means God knows what happens in this world. The book is a second thing. That is, God remembers everything that happens. You're going to have to answer for that after 120. So what was the third? Or really, what was the first then? So the Miri has a Chiddush. He says the first one was when the Mishnah said that there's something, Da'lamalimimcha. When the Mishnah says, Da'lamalimcha, remember what's above you, most Mepharshim say that's an introduction to what's above you, the eye who's watching and the ear that's hearing. The Miri says, no, Da'lamalimcha is something independent. That is, it refers to the fact that you should just believe in Hashem. If you would just believe in Hashem in a real way, and really believe there's someone above you, that itself, forget the eye, forget the ear, that would already be enough. That's what the Miri says. But I think there's a better explanation with all due respect, and that is based on something that Nefesh says in Shar Aleph. Nefesh has a famous doctrine of his philosophy. He says it in a very metaphysical, mystical way, but I think it makes sense on a prosaic and a more rationalistic way as well. But Nefesh HaKhayim says, what does that mean that there's something above you? Nefesh says that there's... A- many, many worlds and universes and cosmic impacts that are happening in worlds that are beyond, you can't even fathom all the different universes and galaxies and things that are happening up in Shamayim. And you should know, says Nefesh Shachaim, that every time you do a mitzvah, that doesn't just affect this world, it affects even all the upper worlds and has cosmic significance. And God forbid, anytime you do an Aveira, you're doing tremendous harm, not only to yourself or what you do in this world, but each Aveira has Cosmic significance, it's affecting many, many worlds. So that could be in line with the Miri what the mission is here saying as well. Realize the impact of your actions. Again, the whole purpose of this mission at the last part is remember certain things and you'll do the right thing. If you remember certain things, it's a strategy for success. Remember these things and you won't do the wrong thing. Remember these things that'll get you to do the right thing. So what's one of the strategies? Da mala which understood based on what we're saying now of the miri and the nefesh chayim means realize the impact we often, sometimes consciously and many times subconsciously, the way we rationalize the bad thing that we're doing or the mistake that we're making is, ah, come on, it doesn't really matter. I don't really matter. I'm one of the billions of people in the world. Ah, what it matters? And this is one thing I'm doing. Does it really matter? Come on, it's no big deal. I know it's wrong, but come on, it's no big deal. So says the Me'iri, says, Nefesh Shachaim da... Mala mala mimcha, you realize everything you do, yes, you and me and all of us, it has a massive, massive impact. Now again, if you're more mystical or metaphysically inclined, you could take the Nefeshaim at face value. He's speaking very metaphysically, he was a big Kabbalist, he was speaking about all these other worlds, and for a lot of people that will resonate. But I acknowledge that a lot of people that doesn't resonate so much with. But even if you don't have to think about all those worlds in the cosmic sky, I think we should just realize that even without that. We often underestimate the impact of our actions. We sell ourselves short, sometimes, you know, deliberately, because that way we can feel better about what we're doing or not doing. But we don't realize the impact that we're having. All of us impact. Some people impact only a few people around us. Some people impact a larger group. If you're in any position of influence, if you're an older sibling, a counselor, you're a parent, a grandparent, let alone a leader in a community, your actions don't just impact you. They impact many, many, many people. Da ala realize there's a bigger picture here, and you're not just a small nothing. Everything you do has tremendous impact. And we would stop and think before we were tempted to do or not do a certain thing. You know, is this just about me? Is it just about the moment? Or is there a bigger picture here, some tremendous impact that my correct action could have or my negative action could have if we would think in terms of the impact and actually give ourselves some credit? You know what? Well, we do matters. The decisions that we make, the choices that we make, they matter. If we would think about it in those terms then each true each action is maybe a little bit, but they add up to something big. They're building us. They're having impact on the wider world, our community, our family, etc., etc., our yeshiva, our friends, whatever the case may be. So if we would think about that, I think that also could help, uh, I think, inspire and discipline us. And that's a whole new insight which we get from the Me'iri's reformulation or reorganization of the Mishnah with a twist that I'm adding from the Nefesh Chaim. Okay, very much. Thank you very much. It's good to see everybody again. Stay tuned for whatever WhatsApp group or social media connections that we have so that we'll tell you for sure, Mir Hashem, Blineter, there'll be a second Shear later in the week on Parsha Shavua, but I'm hopeful, depending on how things work out, that there might be a third Shear in the middle of the week as well. Take care, everyone. Good to see you. Have a great, great day.